Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am your host, Caleb Franz. I am thrilled to have you today for this wonderful episode. This is our first episode in quite some time that uh, it's just been you and me because the past couple weeks, the past few weeks have been um, entertaining to say the least because we've had a couple of great guests on. Uh, Ibrahim Anoba was our, our first one who was also simultaneously our first international guest. And we were thrilled to have him on and have his perspective from across the world in Africa. Uh, and I hope you forgave some of the connection issues, uh, as one would expect in such a setting. Uh, and then, of course, last week we had Mohammed Shaker on, which was a blast to have him on finally. Mohammed is a friend, and he has a good, uh, a very good podcast of his own, The Muddied Waters of Freedom that I highly recommend you uh, go check out and go listen to, because I listen to it every week. And you should, of course, listen to the things that I listen to, your humble host, obviously. Uh, there has been a lot of things that have uh, surpassed <laughs> since since I have really gotten the chance to sit down one-on-one -on -one with you. Uh, it's been about three weeks since I... or No, it's actually been about four weeks now since we've had this kind of a setting for an episode. And a lot has occurred between <clears throat> between the Tommy Laren fallout at the Blaze, which we touched on a little bit last week with Mohammed, and uh, the Obamacare, Ryan Care, Trump Care, Rand Paul Care, all the different kind of cares that you can name. Uh, that big battle that has occurred, and and Rand Paul and the House Freedom Caucus actually being able to prevent the horrible, horrible piece of legislation that Paul Ryan and Donald Trump uh, helped helped put together and, and was pushing, trying to push through the House of, of Representatives, which was essentially just Obamacare with a, with a red food coloring on it instead of a blue food coloring or, a, or an elephant at the stamp of it instead of a, instead of a donkey. It's it it reminded me to go back and and realize some of the earlier episodes that we had on on this program uh, talked a lot about partisanship versus versus your principles and and why partisan politics is is going the way of the dinosaur and why young people are so fed up with labels and and I think that this past Obamacare. Um, debacle or the GOP replacement of it has really illustrated why that is more true now than ever. But that's not actually what I want to talk about today, even though I did want to touch on it just for a little bit. Today I wanted to talk about something that we have not yet talked about on the show before, or if we have, it was more in passing, not so much as a subject. And it's something I actually wanted to talk about last week, but since we didn't get to, I decided I, I could devote an entire episode to it, because it really does deserve that kind of a setting. Um, in the past couple weeks, the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court Justice nominee Neil Gorsuch has been going underway in the Senate. 
Um, this has been a, a long and <laughs> turbulent trial, a trial by fire, if you will, for the nominee, Gorsuch, uh, who I happen to really like. I, I have really gotten around to it. I can confidently say I did not vote for Trump, and I'm proud that I did not vote for Trump, um, especially on days like today where he calls out, uh, where he calls out members of the House Freedom Caucus, where he calls out Thomas Massey, where he calls out Justin Amash for not voting for the GOP replacement bill just because <laughs> they actually have some principles. Believe that. Uh, no, but the reasons like that is is more than enough for me to believe that I am extremely happy that I did not cast my vote for Donald Trump. However, the the nomination of Neil Gorsuch was the first and only one without any buts attached to it. I like this guy, but that that doesn't exist um, for for me anyway. Whenever I look at Neil Gorsuch, he he's a qualified candidate for uh, for the Supreme Court, especially especially when following up. Uh, Justice Scalia. I am thrilled that he picked him. I, I personally had a had a personal bias toward Judge Napolitano. I knew that wasn't going to happen necessarily, but uh, with all things considered, I don't think that would have happened unless <laughs> unless Ron Paul or or Rand Paul became president of the United States, and obviously neither of those happened. Um, but given the circumstances, I could not ask for a, a better pick for the Supreme Court. And mind you, this is something that I was very pessimistic about. This is something that I was, uh, not comfortable about, uh, for those who said, well, you have to save the Supreme Court, so we have to vote for Donald Trump. Now, I am still happy I didn't vote for Donald Trump, and I still hold... Like there, there was, there was, there was no guarantee that someone like Gorsuch or Gorsuch uh, himself was going to get the nomination for the Supreme Court. I had no guarantee or, or uh, no no solid belief that he would do such a thing. And quite honestly, with the track records of a lot of Republican presidents, I actually had uh, more evidence to support. Uh, otherwise, that he would not pick a conservative, a constitutionalist, or a libertarian as the uh, as the next justice to the Supreme Court. Now, granted, he's not a libertarian, Gorsuch. He is by far more conservative, and I would say more uh, constitutionalist as a whole. He calls himself an originalist, and that is actually the point of conversation that I want to, to have with you today. Not necessarily about the hearings themselves, but about a sp very specific part of the hearing um, that the Senate had with Gorsuch. Specifically, the exchange that Dianne Feinstein and uh, Judge Gorsuch had on what the role in, in what... The Constitution is supposed to be. This is a, a very important conversation. 
This is a very important topic. I think perhaps the most important topic, uh, at least one of them. This is how we understand. This really gets down to the bottom of our divide as a country. Where do we understand our rights to come from? Where do we understand what our Constitution even is? What kind of a document even is it? Those on the left will claim that it's a living document, and this is the argument that, that Senator Feinstein, who is known for her horrible opinions, this is the argument that Senator Feinstein um, took up while sparring with, with Judge Gorsuch in the Senate. She said, uh, when, when Feinstein con confronted him about this, she said, this is a personal, but I find this, I don't know why she said that, maybe I uh, miswrote it. This is a personal, I think, belief, but I find this originalist judiciary philosophy to be really troubling. In essence, it means that judges and courts should evaluate our constitutional rights and privileges as they were understood in 1789. However, to do so would not only ignore the intent of the framers that the Constitution would be a framework on which to build, but it would severely limit the the excuse me, but it severely limits the genius of what the Constitution upholds. That statement is troubling in and of itself. What she sees as troubling is that Gorsuch believes in this idea of a negative document. We've touched on this a little bit, specifically in the ideas of negative rights. What are positive rights versus negative rights? Well, quite simply, this uh, this is going to be a very uh, philosophical episode. In case you, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, uh, quite simply, positive rights are not really rights. They may be rights under the law. But when you're talking about actual rights, positive rights aren't really rights. Because rights are not something that, that has to come from somebody or something else. A positive right would be like the right to free health care. The right to a free education. The right to college. The right to fill in the blank. The right to food. This is, uh, th this is things that, that Venezuela... Is, is currently experiencing for themselves because they had the right to food uh, recently put into their governing documents, and now they're starving in the streets. This is what's actually concerning. That's what's actually troubling. <clears throat> the difference in a positive right and a negative right, so a negative right would be essentially the opposite of that. A negative right is not something that can be given to you. It is something that is inherent in you. The only person that can possibly give you a negative right is God himself. Thus, no government, no person, no being can take them away justly. They can try, but they would not be justified. 
those rights still exist. The right to food, the right to health care, the right to um, education, those rights do not exist. You have the right to pursue those things. Nobody can limit you in your ability to pursue those things, but you do not have the right to those things in and of themselves. This could be illustrated, if you really wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of it, this could be illustrated, <clears throat> and I, I suggest that if, if you are ever in a discussion or an argument with, with somebody more aligning to the left, or even of the populist right, because we all know that's, that they are more similar than they are opposed to each other, um, this is something that you could always bring up, is that if, if I have the right to food, not just the right to access to food, then I have the right, this is something that Ben Shapiro also um, brought up during the Bernie Sanders-Ted Cruz debate uh, a few weeks ago on healthcare. If I have the right to healthcare, not just access to healthcare, but actual coverage, the actual care itself, then why don't I have the right to a firearm? I have the right to get a firearm, I have the right to defend myself, but under the Constitution, I don't have the right uh, for every individual in the United States of America for the government to give out AR-15s. That's not what the Second Amendment is about. The Second Amendment is a negative right, meaning nobody can stop you. Nobody can prohibit you, as are all the rights outlined in the Constitution. The Constitution is a negative document. Now that we have outlined what, what positive and negative rights are, what is a negative document? A negative document is something that outlines very specific powers, that it cannot overstep those powers. It's not about what the Constitution doesn't say, it's about what the Constitution does say. And you will find this argument at the core of leftism. You'll find this argument at the core of, of the philosophy of the left. Because they constantly ask the question, where in the Constitution does it say that I can't? And that, in and of itself, is the wrong philosophy. It's not about can't. It's about where can you? Because the Constitution only gives the government very, very specific powers that... If it's not outlined in it, it cannot do it. This is why they gave the rest of the powers to the states and the localities and the individual. Because they wanted liberty to be the core of our new nation. I'm reading a book right now. It's an incredible book. It's called James Madison... Um, and the struggle for the Bill of Rights. It's an incredible story about uh, the basically everything in between 1787 and 1791, from the time that the the Constitution was signed to the time that the Bill of Rights 
was added into it. I, I only uh, I'm only in chapter two right now, so but I, I generally know the, <laughs> the the story behind the the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And it was not an easy thing to happen. But the big reason we have the Bill of Rights is simply because the Constitution did not protect them. Because they saw people like uh, Senator Feinstein in the future possibly saying, well, where is it? And some of the, some of the naivete of the, of the Federalists at the time said, well, we, we didn't give the, the, uh, the government, the federal government, explicit authority to go in and violate your rights, so of course they won't. That was actually one of the arguments that Alexander Hamilton used. We didn't outline any any provisions of the Constitution where they where they explicitly go in and violate your rights. So why should we believe that we need a Bill of Rights to protect? But fortunately, some of those on the other side of the aisle saw the natural, um, unlike Hamilton, they saw the natural inclination of government. They saw that government is inherently about power. Government is about taking power. Part of that is a good thing. Part of that is a good thing, I would argue. This is where I draw the line between anarchism and minarchism for me, if we're getting into libertarian philosophy. I don't believe that there should be an abolition of the state. Now, I, I know that there will be some, some of my listeners that will have their ears bleed by me saying that, but I simply do not believe that the, the state should be abolished. Simply because it has one purpose, and one purpose only, to protect your rights. And to do that, it has to be at least powerful enough to protect your rights. But it also has to be restrained in that power, so that it does not, at the same time, violate your rights. Jefferson talked about about the Constitution being the only thing that separates the government from a criminal. He understood that giving this kind of power to this body of people, power corrupts. That's something that the Founding Fathers knew. And that's something that, ignoring that fact, makes Senator Feinstein's comments so appalling. Is that she completely ignores what the Founding Fathers viewed government to be at the time of the Declaration of Independence, at the time of the Constitution, at the time of the Bill of Rights. She completely ignores the views and actually tries to justify her view by saying the Founding Fathers have the same view. No, Senator Feinstein, they didn't. Quite simply, the Founding Fathers had completely the opposite view. Go back and, and, and I, I'll add this quote so I can get it exactly right because the first part seems a little bit off. Uh, into the into the comments section, or excuse me, the the uh, the page notes, show notes uh, of the show today. But to go back, she talks about 
In essence, it means that judges and courts should evaluate our constitutional rights and privileges as they were understood in 1789. Why is that troubling? Why is that troubling? Because she thinks that rights evolve. But that's simply not the case. Society evolves, sure. Sure, society evolves. Rights don't. Rights are timeless. We understood that. The Founding Fathers understood that. That's why the Founding Fathers added the amendment process to the Constitution because they wanted to ensure that things like slavery were abolished, even though they couldn't abolish slavery immediately. It wasn't feasible at the time. But they added the amendment process so that they could eventually strengthen the ability of the government to protect liberty. Feinstein seems to think, though, that rights are something that evolve along with society. And that's simply not the case. Rights follow the laws of Newton, the laws of physics, the laws of nature. Rights, natural rights, follow the laws that they don't change. Just because governments may or may not recognize them, they do not change. This is why they are negative. Because if you can have them without anybody being around you, if I can protect myself without some governing body uh, forcing somebody else to protect me, then that's your right. That's a natural right to self-defense. If I can speak freely, if I was on an island, uninhabited, and I could say whatever I want, then guess what? You can do that in society as well. If I have the right to live free, if I have not harmed anyone else, then you have the right to liberty. This was the biggest struggle at the time of the Constitution, of course. This was the biggest struggle at the time of the Founding Fathers, was what are we going to do about slavery? And that, in part, I believe, I think anyway, is what uh, Senator Feinstein may have been alluding to, in part. But the problem is, is that her exact philosophy leads away to thinking that things like healthcare and things like education, things like um, things like uh, food and, and water, these things would also eventually become rights because she doesn't have a natural understanding. It's just about society. It's not about the laws of nature and of nature's God. That's where the disconnect is. Judge Gorsuch made it very clear that the originalist mindset is a mindset based in preserving liberty because that's what the Constitution is about. If you're looking at the original intent, as it seems that Senator Feinstein would like to, the original intent of James Madison, the original intent of George Mason, the original intent of... Uh, of Richard Henry Lee, of, of George Washington, of Benjamin Franklin, 
these guys intended that the Constitution would do one thing and one thing only. Protect liberty. That's it. it. They needed a government strong enough to protect liberty from the hands of the majority. In fact, James Madison explicitly outlined this. James Madison said that the essence of government is power. And power lodged as it must be in human hands will ever be liable to abuse. They understood that government, the kind of government that they were setting up, has the potential of being abused by people like her, by people like Senator Feinstein or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump. They know that because power corrupts. They also understood that the purpose of this Constitution is, quote, the rights of persons and the rights of property are the objects for the protection of which government was initiated. That's the purpose of the U.S. Constitution. So, Senator Feinstein, if I may, if you are trying to look at the original intent, I suggest starting at what the, the father of the Constitution wrote about the document that he constructed and that the rest of the Founding Fathers signed on, at least those in the room. That's what the Constitution is about. No, I think, I think what you may be alluding to is something wildly different. I think what you may be alluding to, Senator, is something wildly different uh, from a completely different era. You are not trying to, <laughs> you are not trying to, uh, to uphold the intent of the Founding Fathers. No, no, no. You are, in fact, trying to uphold the intent of the Progressive Fathers. The Progressive Fathers like Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson had the exact opposite views of those like Jefferson and Madison. Woodrow Wilson, in fact, not originated, but popularized the idea of a living constitution. Woodrow Wilson said, uh, Government is not a machine, but a living thing. It falls not under the Newtonian law of the universe, but under the Darwinian law, or excuse me, theory, of organic life. What does that mean? It means that the Constitution must change. Now, the Constitution can change in, in, in one aspect, and uh, as I had mentioned before about the amendment process. But the, the intent and the original theory behind the Constitution was that it must be a negative document with explicit outlined provisions that if you want to change it, you have to go through an excruciating process to do so. That's the purpose of a negative document, to protect the rights of the individual from the powers of the government, to restrict the powers of the government, not 
the rights of the people. This is the first time in human history, the United States Constitution, this is the first time that it restricted the powers of the government for the sake of the liberties of its citizenry. Of all of its citizenry. Wilson thought that that wasn't good enough. Wilson thought that it must change with the times because certain circumstances, obviously, like completely that these are good ideas, but circum cer uh, certain circumstances must allow the Constitution to change. That is why he was able to get the uh, Espionage and Sedition Acts passed and signed into law during World War I. Two of the most outrageous and disgusting violations of liberty that we have ever seen in American history. That was justified by the theory that Wilson popularized that Jefferson was wrong. The government that governs best governs least. That's not the, the role that we should be looking at now. Wilson thought that since society changed, and this is something that's echoed by Dianne Feinstein, Wilson thought that since society changed, so too must the Constitution. Which is ironic, because the left will constantly echo this, this viewpoint that the Constitution must, must change, <clears throat> that our, our rights must adapt with society. The things that are inalienable, the things that are timeless, the things that uh, are given to us by God and not by government. But at the same time, they violate their own law in thinking that the economy, which is quite literally society, mustn't change. The economy must be micromanaged. The, the economy must be looked at like a machine rather than organic life. Now, America, America as a country, is very suitable to change. It's very susceptible. What's not, what's not, is the Constitution. And furthermore, what's not is our right to be free human beings. Our individual right. That's what it comes down to. What it comes down to is individuality. That's what Locke echoed. That's what Jefferson echoed. That's what Madison echoed. That's what it seems that Gorsuch is trying to echo. That's what people in the Senate like Rand Paul or Mike Lee, people in the House today like Justin Amash or Thomas Massey, that's what they echo. It's not what uh, Dianne Feinstein echoes. It's not what uh, Donald Trump echoes. It's not what Barack Obama echoes. It's not what Bernie Sanders echoes. It was not what Woodrow Wilson echoes. But we can rest assuredly, our side can rest assuredly, that we stand on the side of liberty. They stand on the side of oppression. They stand on the side that would intern Japanese and German Americans. 
that would violate the rights to freedom of speech and say, you can't say that, so you're going to jail. That's the side that they stand on, that all of these progressives, left and right, that's the side that they stand on. We can rest assuredly that we stand on the side of liberty. They seem to be a bit hypocritical about it. They seem to be uh, a bit hypocritical and oblivious to the fact that they don't understand that since society changes, it's the economy that must change, not our rights. And when I, what I mean by that is not that uh, the economy must change from one system to another, but the economy can grow. The economy can change from one service or one, one specific field that's driving it to another. That's capitalism. That's the only system that supports that. Yet they do not support capitalism. Capitalism is the only system that, in fact, supports their philosophy in a raw uh, sense or a, a, a raw state of being. But they follow the laws of kings or of, uh, of Keynes rather than the laws of Bastiat or rather than the laws of Smith, Adam Smith. That's the problem. We don't understand where our priorities lie. We don't understand where we must stand in this battle, where society must stand in this battle. We don't understand what is supposed to change and what is not supposed to change. Rights are inalienable. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It's a part of all of us. It's a part of our humanity. The thing that Senator Feinstein um, addressed and the thing that Judge Gorsuch seemed to uphold and reject is that a living, uh, a, a living constitution is good for America. That's simply not the case. A living constitution is the greatest threat to American liberty than anything else. I'm not afraid of terrorism as much as I am the power of the government to abuse its authority. I'm not afraid of Russia <laughs> as as the craze is now. I'm not afraid of Russia or North Korea as I am the power of our own government to abuse its authority. I am not afraid of a foreign um, agencies, of foreign personalities violating the Constitution or violating my right to free speech, or violating my right to self-defense. I am afraid of our own government to do that. And the theory behind a living constitution only ensures that that will happen. How do I know? Because it has happened. It's happened in World War One. It's happened in World War Two. It's happened in Vietnam. It's happened after 9-11.
These are all the things where liberty is great, but we have to make this exception. Woodrow Wilson said that. Franklin Roosevelt said that. Lyndon Johnson said that. Richard Nixon said that. George W. Bush said that. Barack Obama said that. Donald Trump is saying that. And it's simply not the case. We cannot accept this. We cannot accept the Constitution be violated or that the Constitution be passed down as a, as a, a nice thought when in reality it is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. It is the only thing that matters. We cannot sacrifice our right to privacy for safety. We cannot sacrifice our right to free speech for the sake of keeping people from being offended. We cannot sacrifice our right to self-defense or we will be the victims. Government is the greatest abuser. Government is the quickest way for rights to be abused. This is because it's a collectivist mindset. That's, that's the natural inclination of government. Government is a collectivist body. The idea of it is collectivism. You cannot get around that. Some of it can be okay if you, if you collectively try to protect, use the government to protect your rights. That's something that I, I think is good. As long as the rights of the individual is at the core of the ideology. What's not good is whenever um, it goes one step beyond that. Because when it takes an inch, it always, always goes the extra mile. There is no exception. That is something that we have to remember, and that is something that I hope, um, after these, these hearings with, with, the, uh, with, with Judge Gorsuch, it is something that I hope that we can begin to have a discussion about. Because this is the kind of discussion that we need to have. It's the kind of uh, discussion that was had uh, at the time of the Constitution. It was the discussion that was had uh, at, at the time of the Progressive Era. And it's a discussion that I believe we are beginning to have yet again, but we cannot let up on it. This is an incredible time in our history where liberty is becoming as popular as ever. But at the same time, so is the other side. The, the mediocre middle isn't going to cut it. That is being rejected. Liberty is something that is popular. Unfortunately, so is collectivism. And that's what we have to fight moving forward. That's what we have to be on guard about moving forward. We have the right answers. We have the right side. That is not changing. We are on the right side of history with this. I firmly believe that. We are on the side of those who, who actually wrote the, uh, the, the document that has created more human liberty than anything else in human history. Without the Constitution, there would be nothing like today. 
today would be just as miserable as it was 200 years ago. Maybe not quite that miserable, but along the lines of it. We are on the right side of history. We just have to know how to preserve it. We have to know how to protect these ideas and these philosophies. This is the perfect opportunity in this era of, of Trump, in this era of, um, of the population increasingly distrusting the establishment. We have an opportunity to make our case more than ever now. But we cannot waste it. Because if we waste it, the consequences will be too grave. Fortunately, we still have time. Fortunately, we still have time, and I hope that um, some of the results of some of the things that we are doing here on this show will add to that. Uh, it will add to the discussion. It will add to the, uh, the, the fight. Because this is a, a community as I've said before, and we have a lot of great things planned out um, at outset that we are extremely excited for that will one day come and it will only further uh, some, of, some of the things that I have talked about in the past. It will only further the community aspect of liberty. Liberty is the only way you can tr get a true community. And I cannot wait to, to fully flesh that out and fully utilize that so that we can become a strong family for liberty. Now, uh, next week, well, this, this whole month is going to be, this whole month in, in April is going to be very exciting. I am going to go see Ron Paul this weekend um, for one of Young Americans for Liberty's uh, Spring Summit. I'm very excited about that. Um, but until then, I hope that you have a great week. Please go out and share this episode. Please go out and have the kind of com uh, conversations that we have been having on this show. Uh, next month, uh, well, next month, we will be having some very special guests. Uh, one in particular, we, <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy the fact that we are adding more guests to the, to the show uh, more than just one per month. We're really getting around to getting two or three guests per month, and uh, that's not slowing down anytime soon. So next month, we will be having uh, at least two guests, but our big one for next month will be uh, Matt Kibbe. We, ha we had kind of an event at CPAC that we did with him and Jack Hunter um, and Joshua Gukert, uh, who was also on this show for the International Students for Liberty Conference. And uh, next month we'll have our exclusive interview with, with Matt. I am thrilled to have him. This may be our biggest interview so far, and we are only going up from here. So I'm very excited about that. I cannot wait for uh, some of the things that we have in store for you in the future. Please go out, share this episode. You can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. You can follow the show at Mill Liberty on Twitter, and then subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. We have some great things um, lined up for you in the, in the coming weeks and months that you do not want to miss. So be the first to get, get the updates so that you can... 
build upon our community. Until next week, we'll see you.